Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. Hi, everyone. My conversation today is with Nikki Harrison for the second time. It's episode two about grief. Nikki is an amazing young girl who's a grief tending facilitator. She wrote and spoke a lot about grief and she founded a space called the Grief Space, which is a platform that helps people gather together, talk about their pain, and get the support they need to transit this very difficult period. I hope you will enjoy my conversation with Nikki. Thank you for being with us. So, Nikki, I just was going through a really, really rough week this last week. And I realized that while I'm processing this pain of really missing my friend who passed away nearly three months ago, there was a little bit this sense of opportunity for other very deep pain that I had not allowed myself to feel previously that are coming, waving at me in my face. Like, what about us? You never felt or acknowledged the pain of what we we created in your life. And I don't know if I didn't feel this pain before because I was too scared or I was less mature than I am now. And now I'm I'm really living this pain of having lost my friend more authentically than any pain I've experienced since I was seven years old. Do you see this a lot in your therapy that you do about grief? Do other people feel the same? Well, firstly, just sorry that you're going through a really particularly strong week. And thank you for bringing that here into this space. And it's really lovely to be back having this conversation with you. Thank you, Nikki. Yes, in a word. So often what happens when we go through a big loss, bereavement, ending, transition, change. And we saw this you know, in relative recent years with the COVID pandemic. You know, that that was a massive collective time of of loss and and adjustment and these moments in our lives where we have a big deep grief kind of opens up what I call sort of the floodgates of other experiences of of loss of trauma of unprocessed undigested unintegrated times of challenge and grief because what tends to happen in our in our cultures at the moment is we don't have so many healthy ways and and tools and spaces to continually process even the small grievances 
that we have in our everyday life, the small losses, let alone the big ones. But but then they get kind of, if you imagine like a river flowing, as you build up the the dam, kind of a rock, rocks on top of rocks of I'm not feeling that today. I'm going to keep busy with work, throw myself into a helpful project, support this family member, carry on, carry on, keep busy, keep busy. That creates this, eventually, this very strong, impermeable wall to which everything that's that's difficult really gets kind of thrown behind. And of course, it pops up in moments of stress or anger or exhaustion. But genuinely on an everyday life basis, it's like, those parts of ourselves get put behind behind this wall, behind this dam, or in kind of some psychology terms, what, what we call the shadow. They get put into the unconscious parts of ourselves that are here, in some ways influencing and directing so much of our lives and our behaviours, but we're just not looking at them. And then as you describe, what what can happen and what often happens is we then have this experience of a huge rupture to our sense of selves and safety in our in our lives that that kind of bring that wall that we might have been building for decades it brings that crumbling down so that not only are we left processing the grief of of what may have just happened but it's not uncommon to then also feel this force of memories, emotions, sensations related to things that might have happened, you know, as early as in the womb. You know, I've I've worked with people who who got who through going through a big grief will start to remember incredibly early childhood memories of of loss. And I think where it can get quite overwhelming is it it's then potentially confusing. It's like, well, what am I actually grieving for here? What what's what's mine, what's old, what's here. And that's really where the, the practice of grief tending is really powerful because it's not, we're not so much in the story of needing to know, okay, what happened in what linear order and can I make sense of it and kind of moving and, and dripping and melting away from the mind, mm-hmm. needing to put things in boxes. And instead the practice becomes much more about okay, well, what emotions are here right now? And how, you know, hand on heart, really simply, how am I feeling today? And letting yourself be with that so fully, with no need to really isolate a particular cause. And just noticing when are the moments when we let's say we're feeling a lot of sorrow or feeling a lot of anger or frustration. When are the moments when we are coming away from that feeling towards something more comfortable and just noticing what are the distractions that pull us out in life and instead coming back to how can I create more space for the emotion of what's here to just be here. It's like this continual welcoming And your body and your heart will actually be breathing a big sigh of relief to know that, okay, sorrow is is welcome this time. Because, you know, it might be that someone's had a bereavement or a grief very, very young and they were told to kind of keep on, keep going, keep happy. 
And there was no space for anger. There was no space for deep sadness. So the invitation can feel even greater if you've spent a lifetime not creating space for grief. I remember in a last uh, conversation we had, we used the, the example of my sister who passed away and she had lost her son about 10 years before she passed away. Then she developed cancer. And I remember asking you, how do you know you're processing the grief in a healthy way versus you're not processing it in a in a healthy way, but still living the pain. Because in both cases, you live the pain. You are isolating, you're grieving, you're missing, you're wondering why it's happening to you. You, you take it personal, you're angry. All these stages of grief, I saw my sister live it, but there was something in me very clear that she was not processing the grief in a very very healthy way if if it is even a term that is acceptable to be used to to grief in a healthy way i don't know i'm just trying to use whatever term comes to mind the reason why i'm saying it was in a healthy way is because she never lived ever after losing her son she she survived she was waiting. Everything about her life and her attitude and her behavior was showing that she was not interested in life anymore. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm asking again, like, how do you not build this wall? How do you grieve? I know last time you said it's very important to be surrounded by people that understand what you're going through. I'm not really sure if my sister did that, to be honest. I can't say if she did or she didn't, but she never talked to me about this. But what else can you make sure you're not doing so that you're processing this pain rather than pushing it somewhere in your body for it to to pop up again at the first opportunity? Is there a way you can, like in your experience, Explain that to, to people who are very keen on on just continuing to thrive despite this, uh, I don't know how to call it, this bomb that exploded in their life that is a loss. Yeah, thank you. It's such a sensitive question, isn't it? Because, you know, I think having sat with, with hundreds of people who've gone through some of the most horrific losses, there's there's a very understandable part of me that sort of thinks, yeah, no wonder. No wonder there are some cases where people, as you described that perhaps your sister was, just don't don't want to keep engaging in this life anymore. And yet there are also countless stories of how the human heart is able to somehow find beauty beyond experiences that have been so horrific. You know, and I'm thinking through history as well, you know, the beautiful Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning after 
being one of the only people in his family to survive coming out of Auschwitz and then went on to become one of the most incredible psychotherapists talking specifically about this point of like how do we as individuals come out of the most horrific of circumstances in a way that's closer to ourselves and to our hearts and it's yeah it's interesting because I I spent this morning with with my dad and he's actually going through another grief at the moment which is exactly actually what you were talking about bringing up Mm. old very you know talk about opening the floodgates but without going into into too much of that detail because what the specific thing I wanted to mention with him is we have very different ways of looking at the world but ultimately we both have something in us that that like a sunflower moving their head towards the sun there's something that's it that in, in us is able to move towards beauty and love and connection and intimacy and aliveness despite you know, the horrific things that, that may have happened. And if I think about that for myself, I I use I use quite kind of spiritual language, which I can talk about in a minute. But my dad is a mathematician, atheist, <laughs> and and he doesn't use the spiritual language at all. But what I feel in my heart is that we're both talking about the same thing, which I'll kind of try and put into words without making it sound spiritual or not, because what I'm trying to say is it's, it's just it's human, it's inclusive, it's, it's everyone. And it's something about, there's kind of two things going on. There's the very, very human, personal, individual story of our lives. And then there's something like an undercurrent beneath that, which is kind of the life going on around us. And you know, for me, I would put that into words of like consciousness or... Or, or spirit, or, or, you know, I don't really use the word God, but universal energy, you know, it's there's something more here yeah. than just my individual human story. Yeah. And similarly, my dad feels that too. I'm just using my dad as a kind of mm-hmm. personification of this more rational mind. Yeah. But, you know, he knows that there's what's happened to him and there's the kind of greater context of the nine billion people that live on this planet and everybody experiencing life around him and the fact that it's a beautiful, you know, incredibly stunning morning here in Somerset. And we went on a, a sunrise walk with my dog and there was, you know, yeah. beautiful fields. And so the reason I say this is this is the distinction whereby people either lose themselves or or find themselves again is what is their connection to this the second the second kind of space that I was yeah. talking to so beyond just the deep personal experience what is that and and people can find that energy anywhere you know I think of my friend Sarah who wakes up at five in the morning before her corporate job to go and dish out food to the homeless in London or I think of you know my friend Rosie who runs marathons I think of you know whatever it is that individuals have to do to find their connection to something beyond just their individual story that for me is how we we don't get stuck and Uh and I find that you know a practice that I would just advocate for to the ends of the earth is finding a meditation practice that can help you access that sensation of there's something bigger here than me 
So it comes back a lot to personality and the way you respond to life in general. Forget the grief, like forget what happened. Like it's how you respond to something as superficial as you had planned a picnic in the park and it starts to rain. How do you respond to that? And then from there, whatever happens into your life, it's the way you are programmed. Again, we come back to how we are being programmed and how important it is to understand our programming and take in hand and charge to either change that or not. I think that's a really beautiful reminder that I'd love to talk about. We are all functions of our programming and conditioning. Mm. So, you know, despite the fact that, you know, you and your sister must have lived relatively similar lives Mm. being brought up in the same family, you know, if I or if you had had exactly her experiences in life, we would behave exactly the same. Mm. And And I love coming back to that just mental thought process or game whenever I have a thought of judgment you know which obviously I I, we do we're human but it's about reminding ourselves actually every single person we haven't lived their lives we haven't had their conditioning we haven't had their experiences and I say that so that we can bring in so much compassion yeah so you know if somebody's listening to this conversation now thinking oh my gosh I'm in that first category of being stuck in my own downward spiral of grief, you know, what we're not saying is there should be a layer of shame Mm. on top of that Mm. at all. It's a complete compassion and embrace of, you know, no wonder you're in this space. You haven't had the support to know how to not be. But at the same time, plant the seed that ultimately nobody can do your healing for you except you. Mm -hmm. And even in the worst circumstances people find their way back to beauty and simplicity and connection. And that's not to say they ever get over what happened, mm-hmm. but they their hearts kind of heal around it. Yeah. And really, for me, it's like, it's a subtle and it's quite, you know, it's quite strong language, but are we going to be a victim to what is happening in our lives? Or are we going to accept that, that this is for whatever horrific reason, the hand that we've been, mm-hmm. that we've been given. And rather than like, you know, why me? Well, why not me? I'm not special, you know, it's, um, it's a lot easier to do this process gently when you're actually in a one-to-one conversation with somebody, you know, that what I've just shared in the last 10 minutes, we might get to in a therapeutic process over six months, you know, it's, and I don't, I just want to kind of name that it, I've been there. I've been in that kind of downward, quite self-centered place for years. But at a certain point, yeah, realizing that if I'm going to find solid ground again, then I have to be the one to look for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes me also want to ask you about another feeling that I came across this week. While processing this very strong sadness and and uh, the pain i i think it is coming from 
all the suffering that I've seen over years, people suffer, whether it's my friend suffering from pain in her body to uh, suffering from the idea of her leaving this world where she leaves behind three beautiful children that are still at the beginning of their life. You know, it's. I think that w- that's where the pain comes from, the pain of waking up now every morning and not being able to speak with her morning lunch, dinner, and before bedtime, or go to walks with her, laugh with her, share things with her, whatever. And then there is this, I want to call it a monster coming in front of me. I don't know in what shape and form, but it's a big, loud voice saying, shame on you, complaining when you have a roof over your head, you're not in hospital, um, you don't have cancer yourself, you have amazing, healthy children, you can eat when you're hungry, you can, and and there I find myself a little bit like a young child, very small child having, you know, really embarrassed of what they've just done, and I get lost. And this this feeling of being lost, whether I should continue processing my pain and my sadness and cry myself to sleep sometime, or just stop and just continue pretending that I'm super positive and I'm extremely grateful for everything. And the mixture of these two feelings is bitter. It's so yeah. bitter. I feel like I I want to... I wanna, get out of my body. I don't want to be in this body anymore who doesn't even know what to feel. Am I sad? Am I grateful? Am I happy? Am I all of it? How how do you translate that? Mm. Well, thank you for articulating it as you have, because although that experience is unique, what you're going through right now, I would also say it's universal from the the people that that I've sat with. And it's this sense that Grief is not relative. And yet we live in a world where we have so much access to information. We know about the horrors that are going on in other countries. We know about the number of people who are on the wait list for certain surgeries. We know about the number of people not able to access clean water or food. So we're bombarded with this information all the time. And yet we are all having our own unique experience of life. And actually, that's what life is. Life is only alive because it is being perceived. Yeah. You know, if we think about this on a physical level, if you're not going to not feel pain because you haven't also lost a leg at the same time, yeah. it just wouldn't even compute in your brain for that to be the case. And, and yet somehow when it comes to emotions and grief this sense that it should somehow be relative or that's you know just because we still have a healthy right leg we shouldn't feel our broken wrist or just because we have a roof over our head we shouldn't be feeling the agony of losing our best friend it's like I totally understand why you're feeling that shame but it's not it's not actually um it's not logical it's not kind to ourselves and I would go even further to say you know you 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 use the words at the end you know should I feel 
should I cry myself to sleep because that's what what's here or sh- or should I actually just go out there and pretend yeah. that everything's fine and happy and you know the way I see it the world doesn't need more people pretending no. because what pretending does if we take go right back to the beginning it keeps putting up stronger walls in that dam that holds everything behind and ultimately your contribution to the collective is how in alignment and in truth and free you are of all of your own stuff yeah and actually once we're at a place where we have been able to tend to our own individual experience of loss that is when we have a chance to actually have a cup that's anywhere near full to Mm. overflow into the rest of the world and the way I see it again is the world needs more people who are fully resourced in the life that they're in abundantly just just giving and loving and being again Mm. I love using this idea of of a garden like if you were in a, a, a wild garden and you you planted a flower in one end and it happened it happened to be in a place that got lots of sunshine and good access to water should this plant not thrive because it doesn't have as you know it has more sunlight and water than a plant over here no just every plant thrives as much as it possibly can in the place that it is and then what we know about forests is if one plant thrives it's able to send water and nutrients underground Mm. to other plants that might need it and if one plant shrinks and contracts because they think they might be overshadowing they're actually in the long term not feeding the whole so I think I wonder if the question could be shifted slightly for you away from how is this grief being expressed and and rather than the question should I or shouldn't I be feeling this much grief because of what I do or do not have compared to Mm -hmm. others I would just focus solely internally and think okay how am I relating to this grief that is coming up for me yeah am I in a space of actually really being true truly with the loss and the magnitude of what I'm with or at a certain point in my day and my week and my month in my month am I in a bit of wallowing you know am I am I at a point where I'm not helping myself anymore Mm. and at that point okay, how can I just do something that brings in more beauty and joy and love and wonder and connection? Mm-hmm. So it kind of, com- again, comes back to this thing you were saying. The very, very important word for me that you just said, the, the, is it willowing? Wallowing. Wallowing. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's because I think I know what it means. This is the, the point where it's like for me, this image where you move suddenly without noticing to wallowing. And you go on a different, a different direction than what the healthy grieving is supposed to take you. I think this is exactly what I would like to be able to help people who are listening to identify the difference. And I think you've just answered it now by asking yourself this question. Is it really serving me at the moment to be or or feel this way 
um, or or it isn't. And am I allowing myself a bit too long to sit in that feeling? Would you agree with that? Um, Is it fair to ask yourself this question? I think so. And I think we just need to be careful with with the expectations we have on ourselves. So Mm. what I'm talking about is, are we going through extended periods of time without doing anything for ourselves which which could be nourishing and supportive and and help us to heal. Mm-hmm. What I'm not saying is do we need to be self-critical of you know how long we feel in grief or how long we feel sorrowful mm-hmm. because in honesty in my experience and people I've sat with that period of time can last for months if not years for some people to really be in a yeah. time of inner mourning that's okay but within that are you giving yourself moments of a break mm-hmm. are you giving yourself and i'm talking you know in the morning mornings are hard i think mm-hmm. for a lot of people um that first moment when you wake up and you think is this real mm-hmm. do i have to live this day without this person or without whatever it is we may have lost and so it in the in those early moments, can I make a a good decision for myself? Can I go for a walk outside in nature for ten minutes? Can I do some simple breathing? Mm-hmm. Can I meditate? That's something I do. Can I have a cuddle with somebody I love? You know, and and as we go through our days, yeah, yes, there might be the underlying kind of drumbeat of loss happening this kind of reverberation in our hearts that that we're carrying constantly but can we find pockets and moments of nourishment and relief and connection and 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 choose those we have to be honest with ourselves about the choices that we're making because we can slip quite easily into sort of a self-sabotage Mm-hmm, and again, mm-hmm. I say this with like so much kindness, having been there. You know, how many times do we go through a breakup and you know, reach for a bottle of wine, but then only yeah. to feel worse yeah. the next day? It's like, exactly. and those things are fine as well sometimes. Yeah. And I would really say to somebody, if if this is something you're struggling with, how can you take it one week at a time mm-hmm. or even one day at a time? So it's like, okay, the day before you think, what are the good choices I'm going to make for myself tomorrow that just give me the best possible chance of feeling feeling supported? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we can reassess, okay, how did that five-minute walk in the morning make me feel? Yeah. Is it still a good choice to do again tomorrow? And we build and we build our lives on that. But I'll just also point out that this this piece you've named, which is, the self-critical voice that goes alongside grief. Yeah. yeah. Because I see this so much. It's like, not only are we going through this hugely stressful experience on the mind, body and heart, we've also got this voice following us behind, yeah, hitting us, saying <laughs> you're doing too much of that, you know, you're going out too much, you're staying in too much, you're eating too much, you're eating not enough, you're 
not doing enough self-care. You're doing too much self-care, it's indulgent. Yeah. It's like, because grief is a is a time of, of real loss of confidence and sense of self. It can be a real loss of sense of self. And so we've got to really watch out for that critical voice that comes in mm-hmm. behind us and instead just keep coming back to like, what is the kindest thing I can offer to myself? Yeah. And um, Nikki, this resistance that you sometimes have when you know that it would be self, it would be soothing to wake up and go for a walk or to wake up and go do your uh, yoga session, just because we know that when we move, we have certain movement in our body that help us shift a bit of our trauma that is stuck in part of our body or I don't know there is a chemical release in the brain that comes with it that is very helpful we have this resistance to what could be good for us is that resistance part of what human beings just do for self-sabotage is it because we are even though we know what we're living is bad but we know what it is so we'd rather sit in what we know Mm. Is that even possible that we are this kind of beings that would sit in something that's hurtful just simply because we know what it is? Mm. Yeah, I mean, this question goes beyond, yeah. way beyond even just, you know, how we process and respond to grief, doesn't it? This is, yeah. of course, everything. Yeah. It, it's how do we create good choices, healthy habits our actions match our intentions and why are we why are we like this I don't know I think as you say there is a deep sense of we would rather do something that's familiar and known because even in our neural pathways that's a a habit a behavior which which our brains and our bodies and our biochemistry are used to than starting to do something that's different it's why people um you know studies show that people will go for partners in life that mirror the negative challenging behaviors of their parents yeah because actually that was the environment that we grew up in and so there's some part of us that feels kind of safer even in a toxic yeah. dynamic, because yeah. it's yeah. like what's known. Yeah. I think the more awareness that we have of that pattern, you know, awareness is everything. Mm-hmm. So it's like if I'm starting to try and shift towards, let's say, eating better or exercising or even starting to have more healthy relationships, knowing that that's going to feel different and new to my system, that doesn't make it wrong. But on a practical note, what I've learned just for me, is how can we learn to trust ourselves in the healthy changes that we want to make to our lives? And for me, that's just about starting small. Yeah. So rather than saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, start this new exercise regime, or I'm going to make some new friendships, or I'm going to you know, change my whole positive mindset at work, particularly if you're going through a deep time of loss yeah I would just really come back to okay I'm going to do five minutes of gentle movement tomorrow and then once I've done those five minutes every day for a week there's something that happens to my relationship with myself which is oh I I trust that I'm going to show up and 
do the things that I know are good for me. And it's experiential then. I mean, I've fallen short my whole life of sitting down on a Sunday evening and planning my whole week in a way that I'm basically changing who I am. Okay, I'm going to wake up at 5.30 and I'm going to go to this exercise class and then I'm going to start a pottery training because all these things will make me feel better and I'll be more creative and healthy and resourced. And then I get overwhelmed and I then I fall back. I've gone through periods of falling back into yeah. deep overwhelm. That's when the grief comes up. That's when I feel sh- ashamed, useless. But actually what my practice has become now is, okay, so for me, it's more I do 20 minutes of meditation in the mornings. Yeah. And, and, I, and that's doable for me. For somebody else, it might be an hour or if something. Yeah. For somebody else, it might be two minutes of something. So it's trial. It's a bit uh, error and trial and error. What do we, yeah, and just see what really works for us and be and get support. You know, I think you were saying, you know, what what can we do for somebody who's who's in this time of deep grief, and they they will be feeling totally hopeless at moments and overwhelmed and not wanting to make good and positive decisions for themselves and that's the time when you know getting the support of a therapist getting support of a group or even a friend to say I want to start making better choices for myself so that I'm giving giving myself the best possible chance of being able to move through this and often that means going back to basics you know how can I be getting a better night's sleep yeah. How can I be eating better? How can I be outside more? It's amazing, actually. You know, maybe let's make a note of this for the yes. next conversation. But I'd love to talk about how deep times of grief strip away a realization of what it is we actually need. And what we need is very basic. That would be amazing, yeah, to remind people of this. Uh... It, it's it's essential when you wake up and you remember that these are your needs mm. and it gives you this opportunity to stop panicking for what you're lacking yeah. because we think we lack, 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 but actually we have everything and more of what we need already by just being. And this is the, the remembrance the most amazing remembrance that I think a human being can remember. I just want to mention something that I remembered while you were talking about a method that I think I'm saying her name right. Do you know Mel Robbins? She's a spiritual teacher and she came up with something called um, the five second rule. So basically every time she has to do something that she finds very challenging or that in her programming and her habit, she knows she would not do it because she doesn't feel like it. She counts from five to zero on reverse. And there is something that she discovered that uh, has an effect on the brain to do five, four, three, two, one. 
and just just do it like the, the there is a pause there is certain pause that she she lives and goes through between her intention of doing something and the decision in her head where she usually would not do it would not want to do it by counting this in reverse makes it just happen you know and I haven't tried it yet, but I just thought maybe if people want to look it up or just you know know more about it, it could it could be. Uh, it came to her while she was um, actually watching on TV uh, the launch of a rocket, mm-hmm. and then I don't know what she started um, researching that, and she she realized that it really helped her stop putting off everything that she had to do and that she didn't want to do or she was scared to do so just yeah. putting this out there and seeing if it can help i think you know even you kind of touching on the words scared and fear and things we don't want to do grieving and and healing from grief yeah is one of the bravest things and it's so quiet and it's so unseen when you're going through a deep time of grief, you know, even I can remember for myself, like, you know, getting on the tube and showing up to work was terrifying. And I, you know, I'd be like sort of the five, four, three, two, one. I remind, remember going up in the lift, deep breaths. Okay, yeah. here we go, Nikki. Another day at work, even though I'm falling apart inside. Yeah. And um, I just want to name that and acknowledge that because, you know, for all of the parents out there having to put on a brave face to their children all of the people continuing to have to work when they're going through grief people who are getting up at the crack of dawn to feed pets or mm-hmm. feed themselves or anyone who who to keep showing up in fact it reminds me of a poem to love life even when you have no stomach for it it's like All of these incredibly brave people feeling sick to their stomach, but getting up and and partaking in life anyway. That's what, for me, this image, when we were talking about the very human story or something beyond, it's like life is going on around us. This beautiful expression of, of creation. And we get to choose how much we partake in it. We get to choose. And somebody like your dear sister, in her deep, deep grief, she, by the sounds of things, you know, understandably, but very, very sadly, she recoiled from partaking in life. Yeah. And I think the invitation I would love to leave people with is like, even in your darkest, deepest moments, how can you still participate? That's beautiful. Yeah, that's... That makes so much sense. I'm so glad we're ending on this note because I think it literally explains everything. It's just, you know, the withdrawal from life, from people, from hoping, from believing, from opening your heart, from all of that is what gets you to be stuck, probably. And I'm really glad you you mentioned that. Thank you so much, Nikki. I look forward to uh, another conversation with you because I feel I still have a lot of things I'd like to share and talk to you about and have your views on. So um, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much, Nikki. Thank you.
Thank you all for listening to us. Just to remind you, you don't need to do this on your own. You can seek for help. You have to talk about your feelings. You must share what you're feeling with people, with professionals that have gone through this and can give you the right tools to navigate this very difficult period. If you need to know more about Nikki, please visit her website, thegriefspace.com. Feel free to share this episode with people that you know will benefit from hearing it. And I look forward to another conversation that I would share with you. Bye-bye.